and welcome to You and I Make a Thing. I'm your host, Thomas Butel. In this episode, I've invited my friend Tina to create something that both of us have never attempted before. The project? Well, that's revealed in the first half of the episode. Our shared journey of making something new is all about pushing our own boundaries and overcoming creative challenges. Stick around for the second half where we reveal our creation, share our experiences, and talk about the roadblocks we hit along the way. As always, pictures of our work are available on this episode's show notes. Just visit youandimakeathing.com to see them. I hope you'll enjoy listening to our conversation and hearing about what it feels like to create something completely new. My guest today is Tina Hoff. Welcome to the podcast, Tina. Thanks, Thomas. It's good to be here. I'm happy that you're here. Tina is a creative writer, a poet, and a playwright, and she practices art journaling. Tina recently introduced me to the concept of the six-word story. The idea is to find six words that can tell a complete story. It's harder than it sounds, but it's really quite fun. Tina, when I sent you this invitation to You and I Make a Thing, you wrote back, this sounds fun, and I'm honored that you would ask. It also terrifies me, which is probably why I should try it. I'm wondering if you could elaborate what you meant by that, what you were feeling when you got the invitation. Well, I guess I should start off by saying I'm usually terrified by new things. So I'm an introvert and stepping out of my comfort zone is not easy. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you and I talk regularly and talk about creativity and share things. And that's easy because it's one-on-one. But I don't really sometimes feel comfortable talking about all this as if I'm an artist talking about my work outside of just, you know, with close friends. Yeah. And also, I think, you know, even that introduction you gave me, I think, am I all those things? Because I definitely suffer from imposter syndrome, you Mm know, and over the last, oh, however many years, however old my kids are, I haven't done a whole lot of those things. And so, although I really feel like that's who I am deep down, calling me those things is a little bit strange to me. I think also, Thomas, knowing you, you've tried so many different things, and I am sort of just a writer by nature. Mm -hmm. And that's where I kind of stay. I stay in that lane. And it's a very solitary thing. and, And you sit there and you write something out, and then maybe you share it. And even though I've done playwriting with a playwrights group and we did have our scenes performed for an audience at two different festivals that we held, Mm -hmm. which is fun. But, you know, I get actors to do that for me, right? And we talked a little bit afterwards, took audience questions, which was fine. But you've tried so many different things when you talked about us trying to come up with something that we could both try that we hadn't. I thought, wow, I could try almost anything and I haven't done it before. <laughs> coming, up, coming up with something that maybe you have not done would probably be difficult. So, um, I think we're going to come up with something. There are so many things I'd like to try. So, but, I, but thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. You mentioned imposter syndrome and my gosh, I feel that all the time. And, you know, part of doing this, part of this 
you and I make a thing and trying something that we've never done before is really a part of trying to deal with that, right? At least I, the way I feel is the more that I try new things, I I still bump up against imposter syndrome every single time, but it becomes like a practice or, or a dance, I should say. So that's that's really why I'm trying to do this, is to dance well with my imposter. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's the way to put it. Well, I think that's what your invitation felt like to me. And also, I think my imposter syndrome comes from a place where it comes from for a lot of people, which is, well, I only do it sporadically in little spurts. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a daily practice. It's not a regular thing. I fight with myself about wanting to do it badly and not finding time yeah. or being afraid it's not going to be good when I finally sit down because I haven't made it a regular practice. Right. So right. actually having this event between us happening gives me a reason to do it and a time frame to do it in. So that's probably good. Well, let's jump in and find a thing to make. All right. Sounds good. So Tina and I have not decided on something ahead of time, right? The point of what we're doing right now is to be in the moment and to improvise an idea. So I've asked Tina to come up with three things that she might like to do. And I also have a list here of three things. So let's jump right in, Tina. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Go first, I guess. Okay. So again, because I'm a writer and it's just a solitary thing in your head that you put down on paper, I, I don't tend to do a lot with my hands or rely on my hands to make art. That's kind of why I think I took up art journaling. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of free up that part of myself and be like the little kid scribbling in the coloring book again right. and not worry about whether my hands do the right thing. So I thought maybe trying something that uses my hands. And I I have seen this before when I've been surfing around watching videos and it's making a spirit doll. Uh-huh. So a spirit a spirit doll? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. So it's it's sort of a spiritual exercise, but a creative exercise too, where you go out in nature and you find maybe some branches or twigs. And that's where you start. And they could be from a tree that you have in your yard or a place that you go that's sacred to you. And basically, you form them into the shape of a body. Mm. And then you start decorating them, making a real 3D body out of that. So it might be strips of fabric or anything else you might have lying around. And you build up the body and make it a body. You might add a face of some sort, which could be just a disc of some sort, like out of wood, or mm -hmm. um, some people make a clay face and paint it, whatever it is. Arms, which might be other twigs or branches that you find. And then you can just decorate it with anything that feels right to you. And then it can become a symbolic sort of figure for yourself or for your spiritual path or whatever. Right whatever calls to you. Uh -huh. And then it's something you can keep on if you have an altar, something that you keep sacred things on, or maybe just on your art table to remind you that you are a creative spirit and you're connected to all these things. So, Wow, I love that. And, and you know, there's a part of me that's really smiling because I have bags of twigs in my garage here because I make trees for my model railroad. Great. So... <laughs> 
I probably have a hundred candidate branches already <laughs> in my garage for this. I, you know, I've never heard of this before. This is this is actually really great. Yeah, I, I can imagine it coming together. I mean, I know that my spirit would be totally wild. I'm just imagining <laughs> wild colors and stuff like that. I love that. Yeah, love that. yeah. And of course, it's unique to each person. So yeah, that'd be fun. No rules, except what feels good. Right, right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that. Let's bookmark that one and let's bounce back and forth with our ideas. So I'm going to say one right now that I've been sort of thinking about for a while. Are you familiar with the Mayan hieroglyphs? No, I don't think I am. So what's what's interesting about the Mayan hieroglyph or the, the glyph system that they use is that they're sort of square and they have some sort of image in it. And they put them on these, they're called stelae, it's like these, these upright pillars or whatever that they write. They also have the books that they wrote in on bark, I believe. And what's unique about their writing system is that the hieroglyph can represent either a phoneme or an actual idea, concept, or a word. But when they were drawing it, they had a great amount of freedom in how to express a particular glyph. So, for instance, let's say a glyph consisted of a mouth and an arm and a couple of eyes, right? And that meant something. Let's say that meant, I'm just picking a word, like tree. Well, the, the writer had complete freedom in deciding where to put the eyes and where to put the arm and where to put the mouth. And this is what stumped people for the longest time because they would see all these different glyphs and they all kind of look different, but f what they finally realized is that as long as the glyph had an arm and eyes and mouth, it didn't matter what position they were in, it was the same concept, it was the same word. The reason I mention all of this is because to me there's something like beautiful about being able to take a word and have total freedom in the way you design it. So let's say you take the word love, okay, L-O-V-E, right? You could take the letters L-O-V-E and you can just put them in different orders or different places within the square, but it would always mean the same thing. So I was thinking to come up with some sort of a, a word picture using glyphs, sort of inspired by the Mayan glyphs, but using English words or English letters or something like that. It's not an entirely well-formed idea, but that would be something that we could work on and how to flesh it out and, and make something with it. Yeah, that's interesting. It just reminds me of writers can write a whole page about loneliness, but there's different words on every page for every mm -hmm. writer about what loneliness is. Yeah. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. All right, what's your next idea? Well... I've always loved pop-up books, um, mm. and I've never tried to make a pop-up spread, and it fascinates me. So I would love to sort of learn how those are put together. You know, obviously we couldn't do a whole book, Thomas. We would be here for a year, but um, <laughs> but maybe one spread just to try it out. Cool. I have an idea that is actually sort of builds on that. Oh, nice. You want to hear it? I do. I do. So I've mentioned this in a previous episode of my podcast, 
And th there's this wonderful book, Griffin and Sabine. Have you read it? Oh, I have. Yes. Yeah. I, ha I have that from long ago and I do love it. And the idea was, is that it's two people that, that were mailing each other cards and letters. And the book itself, it, it's sort of like a pop-up book. You, there's actually envelopes inside and you can pull out the letter. And the twist that I'm thinking about it is, is what would the story be like if, if there were like a magical mailbox and two people could be communicating to each other over time, like, you know, one person in the 19th century and the other person's in the 21st century. Right. Ah, interesting. And and yeah, and what would the tension be there? Like the the person in the twenty first century might not want to reveal things to the person in the nineteenth century. You know, things like that. That could be fun, Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now you have me thinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your third idea? So. You know, I have a son who makes films, uh -huh. and he likes to write scripts, too. He takes after mom, which is great. I love that he takes after me a little bit. <laughs> um, but I think trying to make a mini film, that's a lot of things to learn. So I thought instead, could you create a graphic novel? And since I don't draw very well, I thought, I wonder if you can make a graphic novel out of photographs. Mm. And I actually just... Googled it a little bit because I thought, oh, I'm, I'm sure someone's done that. And I found that it, I think I'd said in the 40s, um, and then it moves through 50s, 60s. I think there was some in the 70s, all the way up to the 90s that some people had done this from film stills. Oh. And well, I think, I think it was an Italian artist and a French artist were the first ones I saw. And they literally just used photographs and it was people in all of them. And a lot of them were romantic stories, which we don't have to do that theme at all. But I was always thinking it's almost like creating a storyboard for a movie. Right. Without making the movie and without having to draw it. <laughs> and <laughs> right, make because it it's photographs. You're using sort of a yeah. found. Yeah. Yeah. So that was an idea that I had too. You know where that takes me, Tina, is there's this wonderful store that we have here in San Francisco called Scrap SF, and people come and donate art supplies to it. Literally, you just go and you donate stuff that you can't use anymore. Okay. And then it's it's sold for very little to, you know, teachers and, and artists and all that. And one of the things they have there is they have this huge bin of photographic slides. Mm-hmm. And they even have a little light table so you can look at what's there. And I've, and I've stood there for like half an hour at a time just staring at these slides. You know, some of them are like from the 1950s, people visiting Italy. And, and then there's, there's more personal stuff. It's family photos and, and all that. That's, that's mm -hmm. sort of what it reminds me of. Mm -hmm. I found a, a store. It's actually an antique store in Ithaca, New York, which is uh -huh. where my son ended up going to college. And we were there visiting. And they had, of course, a whole, it was a, a cart outside the store that was piled with boxes, and it was all old photographs. Um, some of them going back to the early 1900s, some even earlier than that. Mm. And they were, some of them were from old photo studios that uh, had been privately owned around, I guess, up, upper New York State. 
right. over the years that it closed. So they were like the photo cards that they would use for their marketing, some mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. But some of them had personal notes written on them when the person gave the photo to someone else. And I, I did end up buying some to use for art journaling as yeah. well. You know, not to cut them because that would break my heart, but to scan them and use images of them. So, right. yeah, I love, I, I also sat in front of that cart for hours. <laughs> Actually, I stood, there was no chair, but yeah. I, I stood and I kept making little piles and more little piles, not the ones that I was interested in. It took quite a while for me to narrow down my options there. Mm-hmm. So I'm like you, I could definitely get lost in images in a little store somewhere. Wow. I have one more thing to go, but I have to say is like, I want to do all of these. <laughs> at, <laughs> at some point, I want to do all of these, right? That's the problem. Yeah, it's great. It's That's a, good a great problem to have. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, my last idea is to write a song in the style of They Might Be Giants. I love They Might Be Giants. They, they're the words that they use or the phrases or I guess the idea that comes up for me is like non sequitur. They they come up with words that are so weird and crazy. I mean, like this phrase from Anna Ng, I don't want the world, I just want your half. You know? <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So anyway, that was that's my third idea to write a song. Oh, there's so much there's so much here. I like the spirit doll. I like the idea of pop-up books and also creating a storyboard from, from found photographs sounds good too. What, what are you thinking? Does anything sort of come up for you as like, yeah, let's try that? Well, of course, the writer in me loves the Griffin and Sabine idea. The writing a song in the style of They Might Be Giants terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, it could be, I guess it could be like writing a poem, right? I guess it's the music part that I think, oh, I would be terrible at that. But yeah, I might be able to write lyrics. Mm -hmm. The Myron hieroglyphs sound interesting to me too. So I don't know that I can make a clear decision, Thomas, you know? I am feeling a little drawn to the spirit, Donald, I have to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I think second in line might be the Griffin and Sabine. Or the graphic novel, or maybe a weird combination of the two. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, let's think about what a weird combination might be. Yeah. I'm trying to think of how the spirit doll might fit into any of the others. Yeah. That's an interesting idea, Thomas. Well, let's do this, Tina. What do you think about this idea? I'd love to make a spirit doll. I love the hands-on, just making something and also making something that sort of represents creativity and the muses that seem to be swirling around. And and I like the idea of storytelling Griffin and Sabine style. So there might be something where we can just combine the two. Maybe the spirit doll will point us in that direction. What do you think? I think anything's possible with a spirit doll. Yeah, well, let's try that. I think we have our idea, Tina. Yeah, I think that could work, Thomas. Yeah. In fact, let's do this. Let's go ahead and both you and I can start working on the spirit doll and start building it. 
And as we build it, we can be communicating back and forth and we'll get some clarity about how we want to use that in a Griffin and Sabine style storytelling. How about that? That works for me. Great. Let the spirit be our guide, Thomas. Exactly. Yeah. I like that it includes the storytelling element to it because I'm I'm always interested in learning more about that and and experiencing it experiencing the the creating of stories. Well, that's right up my alley, Thomas. So, uh, <laughs> we're going to get a piece of each other's worlds here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited too now. Both Tina and I were genuinely excited when we recorded the first part of our spirit doll journey in March. Little did we know that it would take us the better of five months to complete our project. As you will hear in the second part of our conversation, sometimes it just takes time to gestate an idea before it can be fully expressed. So Tina, welcome back. Uh, it's so good to have you back. It's been a while since we've uh, spoken last, and just wondering how are you doing? Well, thanks, Thomas. It's uh, good to hang out with you again. It has been quite a while. It took it took us a while to do this project, didn't it? It, it sure did. And I wanted to ask you about that. It's like sometimes we have our intentions, and then things happen. And we just have to set aside what our project is. So first of all, I have to say that I'm I'm just super impressed with both of our spirit dolls. They're beautiful. And I'm excited with with my spirit doll. It's going to be basically in my studio space going forward. And I know that you have your your spirit doll in your studio space as well. Yeah, she's right behind me uh-huh. and I love seeing yours as well, Thomas, when we talk. Mm-hmm. You know, let's start by describing our dolls, and then we can go into what it was like to to make them. How about that? Okay, that works. Um, why don't you describe yours? So my doll is made of some branches, or I guess maybe twigs, from a really big old tree in the yard next door, which has special meaning to me. And then some branches from our great barber that's in our yard that's also very ancient. And I bound them together, has a very feminine shape in the body. So um, some fabric wrapped around and it looks like a dress. The body has some curves to it. That was intentional. I wanted it to be very female. Um, mm-hmm. And then at first I had some sort of curved branches coming out the top they were connected to the branches inside the body and i i envisioned wings for that so they are still there but at one point i actually cut them off and then made them detachable so Mm -hmm. she does have wings that are removable and then i sculpted a face out of i think polymer clay and i have more of the pieces of branches around her face sort of like um rays of the sun, I guess, mm-hmm. and sort of some crown-like adornments on the top. So I have some dried sage that I had in my yard. And then some feathers, some pine cones, some seed pods from a tree. I have all kinds of things as part of her. 
And then I also fashioned a spear out of a broken piece of a crystal I had and another piece of branch and some feathers. So that's that's what she looks like. And I noticed the arms are pretty, pretty much straight out, like in a very welcoming pose. Mm-hmm. Yes. You mentioned that it is a very female figure. Can you tell us a little bit of what you were wanting to express with that? So I'm at a stage in my life where there's a lot of transition. So I'm in that menopausal stage, I guess. Um, I have a son who's left home for college and another one that will leave soon. And so I think when we started talking about the spirit doll, my intention was to find that, I guess, wholeness in myself that Mm -hmm. I feel like is lacking right now because everything's in flux, everything's changing. I feel like at this stage, I'm getting rid of a lot of stuff that I don't want anymore but I haven't quite gathered up what I do want or figured all of that out yet. So Mm -hmm. I thought if I can make this female figure that embodies the unity of all those parts of us, the parts we love and don't love and the parts we struggle with and the parts we wish we had more of, um, Mm -hmm. if I could make this doll that had all those things in one place and was a very unified sort of goddess-like figure, that that would... Make me, I guess, trust that that will happen for me, too, at some point. So that was sort of the feeling I went into it with. I was finding that purpose and that unity in myself again somehow. It's it's a very powerful figure. Yeah, I I didn't know how she would turn out, but she feels that way to me, yes. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Well, my spirit doll started out as basically some things that I found on the beach. I was beachcombing, and I found, of all things, some palm fronds. And the stems of where the palm dates, you know, palms have flowers, and then they produce dates. And these stems are are very... um, zigzaggy, if if I can say, sort of clustered and zigzag. And I knew right away when I found it that I wanted to do something with that. So the stems became the the hair. It's almost like hair, but it's also a symbolic uh, crown, if you will. And the rest of it is made with some branches that came from the backyard. I bound them together with some string and I fashioned the face uh, out of paper mache, actually, and painted it uh, sort of a light blue. And then I covered the body with uh, some faux fur and some other fabric strips. There's a lot of sewing that goes on in my family here. A lot of costumes are being made. And so so almost every week there's bags of little strips and, and leftovers. And I snag those uh, out of the garbage sometimes because there's sometimes they're sparkly like the strips that I have on my spirit doll are, are red and gold they come from sort of a Asian or Chinese uh, fabric and what else can I say about my spirit doll like we were saying it it took a long time for us to to finish our dolls and and part of it is, is I just have to sit with it and and understand like what is this doll becoming and what is it telling me, 
And in the, in the end, it basically, there was a strong message. I was watching a documentary of something and, and what came through for me was this idea of perseverance, of just sticking with it. And even though the project took a long, long time, I just got this overwhelming sense of, of sticking with it and per perseverance. And so that's what I named my spirit doll is perseverance. The doll itself has some female features and some male features. I have not assigned it a gender. It is more of a spirit to me. So it's more of something that's going to remind me to, to stick with my projects, my many, many projects. And so in that sense, I'm really happy to have made it and to have it as a part of my, my studio space. And one thing I have to say is the stems that, that go up that sort of are the hair or the crown above the head. I painted them in such a way to look like a flame. At the bottom it's sort of blue, in the middle it's red, and the top it's it's yellow. And and that was intentional because I am always coming up with new ideas of stuff to do. And I wanted perseverance to sort of embody that as well, just to as an acknowledgement, like, you know, it's okay to have ideas. Mm -hmm. even as I endeavor to, to not be distracted with lots of new ideas and, and stick with uh, the projects that I'm already doing. Juan, what I love about your flame that's coming out, well, first of all, I love the pollen fronds, and I, I thought it was cool that we both live in very different places. So you had materials where you live that I would never find here, you know? So you have very different looking materials for your spirit doll than I would have here. So I love that. But the every time I look at yours, I literally hear and feel the sense of that, that whoosh sound that happens when you light a match. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And it just, that's the feeling I get is just this feeling like, here we go, right? But then it's constant too. It's not just the ignition. It's that, that glorious shock of stuff about the head that's just there, you know? So perseverance is a great name for your figure. Thank you. I love it. Thank you. And the open arms. You have um, the branches that look like open hands up mm -hmm. up to the sky. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, I'm going to catch everything that's coming, you know? Yeah. 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 So, so how did it feel to make the spirit doll, to actually work with your hands? Um, well, I've had a lot of fear about that in the beginning. And sort of throughout that came back because I'm a writer by nature. And the extent of how a writer uses their body is their brain and their fingers for typing. So there's <laughs> not a lot of like, you know, forming things with your hands. And so I'm sort of uncomfortable with that idea. I don't feel good at it. I don't feel mechanically inclined. Mm -hmm. um, and so I thought, how am I going to make this? I don't even know how to put things together, you know. But what kept happening, and I guess it's good that it happened, there were big, like you said, we had big breaks in between in our process. And I remember getting the materials together that I wanted to use for the body and getting some other stuff that I thought I might want to use. And then when I started, I was sort of a deer in headlights, like, how do I even start? But I would just start, and every time my brain would be like, wait, wait, what if this doesn't work? Oh, <laughs> this is not, you know, when I'm trying to attach things and they're not attaching well, or 
the uh, the substance, you know, I was using hot glue and other things. And I'm like, okay, that really didn't hold the way I thought that was going to hold. Yeah. And instead of letting myself sort of panic about that, I would just be like, well, just keep figuring it out, you know, just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And I would just shut that voice up and keep going. And it became, I realized it ke- became instinctual. So it was just like at every point when I'd finish doing one piece or attaching something, I would look over and, and, you know, feel my pieces or pick up certain things. And it would just feel like, oh, this should go here. This should mm-hmm. go there. And I just kept going with that. And that actually, um, became the process each time I sat down with it. So I would, I would literally work on it for a couple of hours at a time, usually, and then get tired and stop. And then there would be a long period of just letting it sit on the table. Mm-hmm. And the fear would come back because I'd look at it and I'd be like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do next? And how am I going to put these other pieces together that I have ideas for? And especially when we got to things like the face, mm-hmm. which I have never made a face before. And I've never, I I have tried to draw in my lifetime and I like the idea of drawing and I've learned to draw some things, but I'm not great at it. And I lo- I'm fascinated by faces. Mm-hmm. So the idea though of making a three-dimensional face was terrifying too. So that's probably a long answer to what you asked, but that became my process every time I sat down was to panic first, <laughs> then then just start doing it, and then just keep following my instincts. And, you know, it, it seemed that at each point I somehow figured it out, somehow figured out how to make things stick together, how to make things attach to each other, where to place things, what things to place where. And then when I made the face, I don't know, I watched a couple of YouTube videos, I looked up some things, but in the end, I just sculpted it till it felt right and, and it worked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So how did you feel once you, once you saw that face, when it took form? Well, I got excited, but what I usually do, it's, it's, this is just being inside my head, is anytime I get really excited about something, especially if it's art-related, is there's a voice that immediately wants to tamp that down. And mm-hmm. I think it's like the fear of disappointment. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't get too excited because the disappointment will hurt more, you know? And so I would get excited in the midst of it and then try to calm that down. Like, okay, just calm down. Don't think about that right now. Just keep going, you know? But when I got done, I remember we were actually on a little trip away from home. So I had to transport the face back home and it, it needed to be baked. Uh-huh. And I thought, oh, it's going to get ruined on the way home, you know, and it did. And then I got home and I had to read about baking it. And I thought, oh, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong in the oven, right? And it, none of those things happened. So I guess at every step, I kept thinking, maybe it's okay to get excited because it seems that if you just let yourself go with the instinct, that you will figure it out. And even if there's a problem, like I had, you know, minor issues when I was doing that. It's like, well, who cares? If it mm-hmm. still works, if you can find a way to make it work, it'll still work. It'll be fine. Right. And so that was my experience, especially with the face as well. Yeah, mine came together fairly quickly. At, 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 well, the initial part, the branches, and, and you had sent me some resources on spirit dolls, and there was a particular face that I saw in there that I used as a pattern. 
But then it sat forever. The next step for me was to do painting and to make the cloak with with the fabric and stuff. And that sort of stumped me for a while. I just was sitting there with this, this Ziploc bag full of fabrics and it was sitting in the basement just sort of staring at me and it's like, hmm. But I was fairly pleased with how the the face turned out. I've never done that before. I've never molded a face like that before, but I just worked at it. And and because it's paper mache, it, it, you know, paper mache, what I like about it is it's a slow medium. You can work it and you can change it and because it takes three, four, five days for it to, to really harden. So, but it did take forever for me to finally get to it and say, okay, this is what I'm going to do in terms of actually making the cloak around it. So how did you feel when it was all finished? Um, actually, I'm trying to think. I, I think I was a little sad it was over, to be honest. Um, I guess over in quotes, right? It doesn't have to be over, but I was excited at how it came out because I did have a couple issues on the way that I had to figure out. Like once I got done the face, I had a whole idea of how I wanted the head to be and realized that with the branches sticking out that were making wings, here's where I was learning my mechanical skills, I guess, <laughs> was, wait, some of these things are just in slightly the wrong place. You know, mm -hmm. they just don't quite work where they are. So at one point I had to make a decision to cut the wings or cut the branches coming out of the top that were going to be my wings. And then I also had to figure out a way to attach that base that it was in the right spot. Um, mm -hmm. And that took some figuring out. So I think I was also just excited that all those different pieces did come together and it's a coherent piece and mm -hmm. it actually looks right and writes in quotes it looks like a figure it looks like yeah. i imagined that it might look with some surprises along the way because i don't think you ever really know how it's going to look from the beginning i don't think we planned that out thomas each little piece right it just sort of happens along the way so that was kind of fun that was kind of exciting when you get done and you stand back and you look at the whole thing and you're like wow how did that even happen <laughs> yeah. you know how did that even come together and somehow I think when you look at it, and I think you probably feel this way about yours, is, well, it came together exactly as it should have, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, there wasn't a plan. Like, I didn't draw anything for it. I mm -hmm. was literally just starting to put things together and, and sort of s seeing in relation how they look. And, you know, I still wasn't quite sure how that thing on the top of his head, all those branches coming out of the top of his head, how that would eventually look i didn't go into it thinking oh yeah there's going to be a flame <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it just like it just at some point i looked at it and said that sort of looks like a flame and it has the right energy of a flame you know mm -hmm. in terms of what i was trying to do i was just really happy when it was finished it, i looked at it and said yeah this is this is exactly what it needs to be well, and after it was finished, I did sit down and sort of write out like some of my experiences because, uh -huh. of course, that's how I make sense of the world is writing. And it occurred to me that the structure of the spirit dial is is like layers, you know, mm -hmm. like you you build that core body, whatever you want to call it, that figure, yeah. yeah, and then you just layer on top, you know, 
the figure of clothes or body and then face and head and all these things. And what I wrote down was the structure is stronger the more layers it has. Mm -hmm. Just like our years of experience and wisdom that we wrap around ourselves give us strength and confidence. The confidence that things will hold together even as things change or fall apart. And I wrote that out and then looked at it and said, well, that feels so right because, you know, at every stage when I'm trying to attach things and thinking this is going to fall apart, right? This is not going to work. It didn't. It all held together and it makes sense. And, and like we just talked about, you stand back and look at it and you say, oh, well, it came out as it should or this this is as it should be. Mm-hmm. It just feels right. So when I wrote that out after looking at it, after it was done, it felt like sort of a, a closure for me or a that that unified thing I was trying to find. I did find it through this mm-hmm. process, I feel like, on some level. Um, and just sitting with that and sitting with the figure and then writing that down made me feel that really deeply. So I'm glad to hear that. And there's also another layer that we can sort of speak to here and that this is now going to be a part of us going forward, right? It's a part of our studios. It's another layer, if you will, of our creativity that we've built and now is going to be with us going forward. Yeah. And you named yours perseverance, but I feel like when I look at mine, I see that too, because that was the experience of the project, right? Just sticking with it through the doubt and the uncertainty. Um, It also occurred to me that, so one of my favorite quotes, uh, is from Flannery O'Connor, mm-hmm. and she said, the basis of art is truth, both in matter and in mode. Mm. Um, and I feel like making art, this happens with writing for me, but I, didn't, I guess I didn't realize it would also happen with something like this, where in the process of making art, you're, you're taking the truth of things that you know and putting it together so that you can see and hear it, mm-hmm. you know, out loud in some way so it's like you know it inside but you don't really know it till you produce it and make it and look at it and if it's music listen to it and so it's like the truth is made conscious for you yeah so i feel like oh there's this figure on the wall you know that's that's a truth i came to it was in there i just Mm -hmm. didn't know it until she came out you know yeah so that's comforting to me, too, the way things all sort of eventually tie together in some way. We had also spoken about having a, a writing element as part of this project. Okay. And eventually what we decided to do was to write in the voice of our spirit dolls to the other spirit doll. And I found that to be an absolutely wonderful experience. How did, how did you experience that? Well, I think I didn't quite know what her voice should be. And then I got your note from Mm -hmm. Perseverance. And actually, you inspired me to find her voice and write back to you. So it was, I would kind of had to wait for you or Thomas to spark that for me, which is weird because that was the writing element, which I thought I felt so (laughs) comfortable with. And that was the part that I was kind of just a little bit blank on by the end, you know? And maybe it was because this was a 
more of a hands-on process and not writing. So mm -hmm. maybe I just had trouble switching gears back, you know, to the writing piece. I don't know. So. It, it took me a while to sort of understand what it is that that Perseverance wanted to say. Mm -hmm. um, but then as I sat with it, I just re realized it really was more about acknowledgement, really. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's sort of the direction it took. I'm glad we did that. I'm glad we added that element to it because I think it, it sort of provided a certain amount of closure to the process of making the spirit dolls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I thought... Not that it needed closure, but it was sort of a, a, a nice little final note to it. Yeah, I think acknowledgement, like you, the word you used, acknowledgement, fits because it was almost like the spirit doll saying, I see you, you know, this thing that came out of nothing that was created, I see you and I, I understand who you are, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. So it was kind of, kind of cool that way. Yeah. Yeah. So did you come to any truth, Thomas, through this process or, or like the truth made conscious? Did you, did you discover a truth you already knew by the end? That's a great question. I, I liked what you said about being both mode and matter. Mm -hmm. And, and what I went right to was mode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, as you know, I like, I really like to make things with my hands. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, a lot of that truth is in the mode, is in the making. And I guess what I can say about that is, is that, that for me, making is, is about discovery. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't hesitate when I start making stuff. I just say, okay, well, what am I going to do? Okay, I'm going to get some rope or I'm going to get some string or, or, you know, let's see, how can I what's the best way to attach this or, you know, all of those questions are answered in the moment of, of making. So I guess for me that, that, the the truth is really more in that moment of making in a moment of working with my hands. And at the, boy, that's kind of hard to describe actually, as I'm trying to describe it, but it's who I am in terms of, of the, the, the type of art that I want to make and, and what I want to do going forward is definitely, there's something about working with my hands and, and seeing something in my hands. That's, that's where my truth is actually okay. even, even more so than the final product. Oftentimes, <laughs> you know, it's those moments of, of creation, I guess is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I got to experience that for the first time, you know. Uh -huh. It's familiar to me when I'm writing, and it is hard to describe, you're right. But yeah, what you described in the making, the physical part, yeah, I experienced that a little bit too for the first time. And that's why I think it's important for, for all of us as artists to try all these different modes. You know, writing for me is a... I was going to say struggle. It's not a struggle, but it's it's definitely not as fluid as making something mm -hmm. with my hands. And yet it is, as you say, it's creating in exactly the same way. And that's why I like 
trying so many different things, whether it's printing or, or drawing or gluing or, or writing. Those are all ways of, of being with truth in, that, in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like a form of meditation, sort of. It is. You know? It really yeah. is. Well, Tina, this has been so wonderful. And uh, I really want to thank you for being my partner in Making Spirit Dolls. And just your willingness to try something that you've never done before. Uh, so thank you for that. Well, Thomas, I, uh, you know, I love hanging out with you and talking about this stuff, but I think this is the first time that you've given me a project (laughs) and I love it because you nurtured that along and let me experience this for the first time. So that was very wonderful. Thank you. Thanks, Tina. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for embarking on this creative journey with us today on You and I Make a Thing. I hope the trials, triumphs, and revelations we shared ignited your own spark of creativity. Remember, art is about the process as much as it is about the product, so don't hesitate to make your own thing and embrace the challenges along the way. Connect with me on Instagram at Butelevision and tell me about your creative endeavors. Don't forget to tune in next time when I dive into another creative adventure with a new guest artist. You won't want to miss it. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a review and sharing the podcast with other art enthusiasts. Your support helps me continue to bring these creative explorations to life. Until next time, keep making, keep exploring, and keep surprising yourself.